the path of the witch is so unique. The, the gift of witchcraft. I was able to see, hear, and communicate with spirits. A very personal relationship between a person and spirit. Carnal lust and some things like that. Working with different energies and spirits and communicating. Creating magic. Powerful yeah. ritual and powerful spells. She's actually sending me in the cold. The role of the witch is to make change. Let's it be, y'all. Let's it be. People ask me, like, okay, I'm a witch, and I don't know what to do. Twenty years ago, three young friends realized they were witches. They scattered to different parts of the world, following magic and spirit. Now, they're back in their hometown to share what they've learned. Welcome to That Witch Life Podcast, your home for living as a witch in today's world. Hello, everyone, and welcome to That Witch Life Podcast. I'm your host today, Hillary, and I'm joined by Kanani. Hello. And Courtney. Hello. And we're excited to have you back listening to the podcast. How has everyone's week been? My shoes are still wet, <laughs> like soaked. Hillary and I went to the Enchanted Forest on Sunday. Finally, it's finally open. For those of you, for those of you that don't know what the Enchanted Forest is, it's it's a it's an Oregon treasure. It's been around since the seventies, <laughs> um, and it shows. It's like a children's uh, fairy tale land. They've done it. They did an incredible job of opening in a limited capacity to keep everyone safe. And it was so much fun. And we were so glad to be back there supporting them. And I got Courtney very wet on a log ride. That sounds dirty, but it wasn't that as <laughs> I just realized you said you got me very wet on a log ride and you're always worried about context. So take it out of context. I made you wet. I said, I got you wet. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. <laughs> anyway, oh what happened was, so actually I'm going to tell a story about my husband first off. So it's his first time at this place. And if you didn't grow up going there, you're not necessarily going to love it. So there's one of, like, I can always I call tell. bullshit. Everyone I know that I've taken there loved it. Because you picked the right people. So I can always tell how someone's experience is going to be by going into the first, like, I don't know, what would you call it? Not an immersion, but like a, you, you walk into, you walk into the witch's gingerbread house from Hansel and Gretel. And inside you see an animatronic witch with Hansel in a cage. And she's trying to put the kids in there. And Gretel's just looking at you like, can you believe this bitch? Like, and this creepy ass voice is like, (laughs) (laughs) and I knew that Hillary's friend that she brought with her, it was going to be my friend forever because as I walked through the gingerbread house and out, Hillary's friend walks in and I hear her just burst out in this absolutely delighted cackle. And I went, okay, this is good. Well, meanwhile, my husband's looking at it going, um, okay, this is a... So there's three grown-up rides, quote-unquote, because they're not specifically thrill rides, but they you know, you know go up and down and around and stuff like that, the little roller coasters. And one is the log ride. And so I took my husband on the log ride and as soon as we get in, it's like full of water and he's like, Oh, we're wet. And I said, what did you think was going to happen? It's called a log ride. Every theme park has one. And everyone knows the log ride is where there's a splash at the end. It's just the way it goes. And as we're going up, <laughs> I, know, I can't believe that he was like, there's water. And I was like, what the fuck did you think was going to happen? On it's this a wild ride? ride. That's what always happens. And so that he was so mad the whole time because we got totally <laughs> splashed and we get out and we're soaked. And I am howling, laughing at my angry husband. Cause he was like, I didn't expect to get wet today. And of course we're wearing our face masks, which got soaked and it's really gross. So now you're like, have this face mask. That's like 
full of water that's, I don't know. I mean, again, the, the facility. Ugh. The water is also from the 70s, by the way. <laughs> also, didn't I tell him? No, he knew there was going to be water because I very specifically said, hey, when you go down the ride, don't make the error that I made and open your mouth screaming when you hit the water because all of that water then goes into your mouth. And, but he was so mad he was like trying to like wipe his wet hands on me and I'm soaked and then I get off the ride I'm laughing I'm soaked and then Hiller looks at me and she goes okay now it's time for you and me to go and I'm like what and she says yeah my friends don't want to go so you have to ride with me and you have to ride in the front and I'm like I just literally got off this ride and I'm soaking wet and she's like yeah and and <laughs> And so we get back on the ride. We do it again. And Hillary's doing the same thing my husband was. And she's like, I forgot. I hate heights. I'm mad. Ah! She was like, mad. I was like, no, I was like, God, I hate roller coasters, but I'm glad we're on this roller coaster together. That's why, Courtney, that's why your husband and my husband get along so well, because they're like totally can be grumpy frumpersons and they just hang out together and pretend they don't know us. You're like the fun police in the corner, you know? <laughs> and so, like, why are those ladies talking to us? I don't know why they keep following us. Why won't they leave us alone? And then we were, we were, we were completely so. It did like Hillary was like, it looks like you wet your pants. I'm like, thanks really for laughing did. at me. Thanks for laughing at me when you made me write it a second time. And fine. so my shoes. The, the thing is, is I did you a favor because after you got more wet, it no longer looked like you pissed yourself. <laughs> so you're welcome. Yeah, and I just as we're leaving, I'm like, that's why we do the log ride at the end of the day. Oh yeah, yeah. And so, so yeah, that was fun. What was also fun was that I got stung on the ass by a wasp last week. That was pretty exciting. So I like texted texted Kanani and Hillary right away, and I'm like, I got stung by a wasp on the ass. And Hillary's like, Wait, wait, wait. You need to go back and you need to tell the whole story because I was like, Time out. How did this happen? Context is important. <laughs> I was walking. That that, that's the last thing the wasp saw as she, as her butt was coming at them as right as she said. Oh, no, wasps live. Wasps live. And this one did because it flew up, buzzed by my ear and was like, suck it, bitch. It and it flew up. It on it. It flew up. She was standing up and it stung her on the Yeah, ass. no, it went after me. I was attacked. Yeah, I didn't sit on it. No, I was walking my dog and it flew out of the blackberry brambles and was just like not happy, was not cool with me existing. And it stung me in the ass. And like I said, it buzzed in the ear and, you know, buzzed me in the ear and then just flew off into the distance cackling. That's and not I was, the way I'm going to tell the story. Well, the I don't story really care how you're telling the story because we have. No, help me now! <laughs> <laughs> I'm seeing like another Enchanted Forest ride with an animatronic me sitting on an animatronic wasp. <laughs> and it's buzzing and screaming. Yeah, so, um, I, but it was funny because I was, this was just after uh, we had the meeting with David Shee, right? And so I'd been making more of a conscious effort to work with the land spirits. And so I was like, David, what is this? I'm, I'm working with the land spirits. I'm planting a pollinator garden. One stings me in the ass. And we're talking about it. And you know what? Not every visit from the land spirit is going to be a beautiful deer coming out of the woods and looking at you and a butterfly flying over its head and then away. It's sometimes, not a movie. <laughs> no, sometimes it, no, it's not a, life is not a Disney movie and witchcraft is not a Disney movie. Sometimes the earth spirits come to you in the form of stinging you in the ass. And I'm <laughs> laughing, laughing about it, but honestly, uh, I went out and I made another offering in my, uh, my pollinator garden and I watered the flowers and just said, okay, whatever message you're trying to get to me, I'm, 
I'm receiving it. And I had an incredibly powerful dream that night that um, I didn't understand all the messages. So I took them to some people that were in the dream and those messages were relevant for them. So something came through, uh, through a sting in my butt. And that's just, <laughs> it's just a reminder that not everything in witchcraft is disnified. So there you go. <laughs> I'm going to have to uh, have some, have some conversations with the land spirits and let them know. I don't want any messages coming through your ass. <laughs> <laughs> most, of, most of the time I'm talking out of my ass. So those are the messages you get. So there you I go. Know, I was like, aren't you used to things coming out of her ass? That's what I'm saying. I get it enough. I don't need it from the land spirits too. What about you, Connie? How's your week been? Well, I actually, uh, my family, we have this thing we've gone to every year. I want to say for at least nine years, they have a lavender festival and, uh, at a near, well, it's actually, it's, it's statewide, but there's one particular farm we go to, um, every year and they actually were still able to have it this year. They just had it where you had to wear a mask and you could only go for time blocks and they had a certain amount of people per time block. And so we got to go and it was so much fun. And I actually got stung, but my husband thought maybe it was a spider, but my calf swelled up. I, and, and I have, I think I've mentioned before, I've been diagnosed with an abnormally high tolerance for pain. So it happened right when we first got there. And I was like, oh, that hurts. And I look and there's a little red mark. And I'm like, oh, I think I might've just been stung by a bee. And my husband's freaking out. And my kids are like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. Walked around, had a blast, had so much fun, bought the most beautiful painting that I conned my husband into buying for me for a super early birthday present, which I absolutely love. And we just had a blast. I thought nothing of it. And then the next day we had to leave out of town and uh, we got to my dad's house and all of a sudden I feel like my leg is like kind of sore and throbbing. And I looked down and my left calf was like double the size. Oh my God. So I had a almost like ping pong ball size bump on the front of my shin where the whatever sting was. And so my husband had to run up and get me, I, I kept putting ice on it and I had anti-itch cream. And so I put that on and it like, it was hot, like a really bad sunburn. And so I would put ice on it for like 20 minutes. And then I would start to kind of feel like you should take it off. Cause you're not supposed to have ice on you that long, but it would still be hot to the touch, even though it just had like a frozen ice pack on it. And so my husband went up and got Benadryl, which is the only thing that helped it to go down. But yeah, it was pretty funny. So I spent the next couple of days with my my leg up, hopped up on Benadryl and, and anti-itch cream trying to get it to go down. It looks better now. I should have taken a picture of it because it was so ridiculous. Now it just itches. Y'all are pissing off the bees. Right? What is the deal? And they knew I was there to take their lavender. I get it. I'd sting me too. It is one of my favorite kind of annual events because, you know, every summer there's things that you do every yeah. every summer. And it was Honestly, of all the things we do every year, it was the one thing that I was kind of most heartbroken that probably wasn't going to happen. Even though it's really not a big deal, it's just like a handful of vendors and, um, you know, food. But, you know, we got uh, lavender lemonade and some little candies. And I actually bought 
some essential oil they made, which I loved, which is not a scent combination that I had found before. And it was lavender and amber. Ooh. And it is the most. I bought the biggest essential oil container they had of it because I loved it so much. That's amazing. And I bought a, it was kind of warm, so I bought a fan. And I sprinkled the the essential oil on the fan so when I would fan myself, you smell it. That's some fancy Morticia shit there, Kanani. I know. And I bought the fancy black and red fan. I was very excited. But it was, we just, we had a blast. So that's my new thing is is putting essential oil on fans so that, as I'm fanning myself, I can also smell pretty things. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. That's like the most bougie thing ever. I spent fancy, fancy essential oil on my fancy fan so I could fan myself in the heat. <laughs> I think I'm going to do that. Can I finally find the right uh, parasol? I think I'm going to, I'll essential oil the shit out oh of it too. It's a, it feels to me that I'll be like, oh, that's natural. It feels to me very early 20th century or maybe late 18th century where, where the rich people would walk through the town with perfume sachets up to their faces because they didn't want to smell the stench of the city. Yeah. Right? But that was also when there were a bunch of pandemics that blew through the world. So I know my history is really garbage at the moment, but I just think it's probably very timely that Kanani is now walking around sniffing, sniffing pretty things while, you know, illness is rampant. Yep. That sounds right. That seems about right. Uh, Speaking of our adventures collectively, uh, we are now on TikTok. And if you want to see some videos of Kanani in the lavender fields and Courtney and I at the Enchanted Forests being ridiculous, Enchanted Forests, no, Enchanted Forests being ridiculous. Just one. Just one. There should be. I wish, you know what? There shouldn't be more than one. We get to No, just one. We're just good with one. Keep it here. Um, But, uh, uh, yeah, go check us out on TikTok. It's That Witch Life Podcast on TikTok. Um, there's some really fun videos up there of us being idiots, per usual. Um, and Kanani, did you like your little? Uh, did you like your little song troll on that TikTok? So the best thing happened that you guys tried to troll me with that song, and every time that I have been on TikTok and looked at it, I've been somewhere loud, so I can't hear the music. <laughs> so it's fantastic. And it makes me giggle every time because I know that you guys are trying to drive me crazy. And instead, haha. Well, and it's like an, it's like an extra obnoxious sped up workout version, which was the best part of that song. Oh, awful. For those of you who are not familiar with this, Kanani's least favorite song in the world is You Spin Me Round by Dead or Alive. And so we try to play it in her presence as much as possible. Yeah, we've trolled her with it on, on one of our episodes before. So, uh, so yeah, you expect to see it come round from right round, baby, right round again and again. <laughs> oh, look what you did there. <laughs> I did a thing. I did a thing. So Courtney, you have some stuff with the new moon that you wanted to talk about. Yes, we have a badass new moon coming up on July 20th. And we have talked in the past about how new moons are good for cleansings and renewal. And that is true, Uh, especially coming out of Mercury and retrograde, which we're doing about this week. It is a really good time for using this new moon to clear up any communication issues, to wrap up contractual stuff, and also reflect on promises you'd like to keep to yourself and others for the foreseeable future. Now, because it's a new moon that's rolling into Leo, it's a really good time for setting intentions for 
um, setting intentions for attention. The new moon has a lot of energy from Saturn, which rules structure and time. And it also rules Capricorn, which is all about hard work. But this moon is also highly influenced by both Neptune and Jupiter, which are planets about dreaming and embracing luck opportunities, respectively. And it's a good time to uh, bring attention to endeavors from the right people, as that's what Leo is all about. And it's also a good time to do work to fall in love with the things that can be a little more like a little more mundane. So for example, it could be a good time to do some rebranding, like it's rebuilding your website or your social media platform to draw attention to your creative endeavors or your business. And it's a really good time to develop a plan of action to improve yourself and your life, whether that is in, related to work or to health or another uh, plan of action to, Im- to improve yourself and your life, whether that's work, health, or otherwise, because you're likely to not only stick with it, but enjoy it and also gain some compliments and some positive attention for that. Uh, bath magic is a really great way to utilize, utilize this energy. Um, some people like to try to catch the, they, they say like we catch the reflection of the new moon of the full moon in a bowl of water, which when there's a new moon, you really can't see it. So if you have a very, very clear sky, you might be able to see the outline of the moon and, and can do it that way. Otherwise, um, leaving the water out on your windowsill for a night is a good way to bring it to capture some of that new moon energy. Um, so then you could take the water and load up your bath or your shower with rose, rosemary, lavender, uh, but also consider some more spicy things like cinnamon, which invokes the more sunny energy of the Leo. And an easy way to do this is to wrap the herbs in a paper towel and drop it in the tub. Or if you don't have a tub, use this homemade scrub like a loofah and you know, scrub yourself with it. Then try to collect some of the bath or shower water. And um, what I do is I bring in a metal pot into the shower and uh, just collect some collect some of the water as it runs off of me. And then you can sprinkle it around the outside of the, your house or the threshold of your, of your apartment to try to bring positive attention and energies you seek to you and your home. So it's a great new moon to get some stuff uh, rolling in your direction. And I'm certainly going to take advantage of it. And I think everybody should. Nice. I like that suggestion. Is it, does it work for uh, me crafting our rainbow unicorn cards that I was going to put on Etsy? Yes, it absolutely is a great new moon for crafting rainbow <laughs> unicorn cards for Etsy. Because I just, I finally got, when I came back to town, I had the cards that I ordered and they're like the cutest rainbow colors. And so I already have it all set out on my dining room table, ready to go for the day. So my husband's like, oh, she's not doing anything today. <laughs> Well, you say, no, I am doing something today. It's just not having to do with cooking or cleaning or watching our children. That's what you should have said. Yeah, you're like, I'm doing plenty today. All right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm just not leaving the table today. That's, that's, that's what's that's, happening. You will have to bring me my meals and a bed. That's accurate. <laughs> so, uh, we had a listener question. Um, and I think it's a really good question and, um, I'm kind of excited to discuss it with you guys. Um, so the question is, I am now in a place where I want to deepen my practice and really connect. I've been looking at organizations like Witch School, and I have been looking at some of the different philosophies. Corellian, I think that's what this says, Corellian or, and Gardnerian. I am not sure which path would work best for me. I want to follow a path with high moral standards with a high emphasis on self-development. I've heard horror stories of people having to be naked or having to engage in sexual activity with other members as part of the ritual, which is not something that I would like to be interested in, or is not something that I would be interested in. I've been looking at different paths and was wondering if you could offer some guidance. 
Of course, I read that and started to scream internally. <laughs> I know. I didn't do. I was like, what? No. Well, okay. Taking a few steps back. First of all, I'm actually not familiar with Corellian witchcraft, so I would not be able to answer that. I am not a Gardnerian initiate, but I'm pretty familiar with many of the practices. And okay, so the horror story is about people having to be naked or engaged in sexual activity with other members. There, there was a time in which certain witchcraft sects would encourage uh, teachers to have sex with their students as a process of initiation. Now, saying that, it has been a long time since that was considered the norm. We're talking like 80 years or so. And so far as I know, I do am not aware of any groups that would encourage or condone this. And any time that I have heard of leaders um, requesting sex, whether that's even, like, even if it's consensual, that's a big taboo between teachers and students within the, within the contemporary craft. So yeah. if you come across a coven where that is the case, you need to run screaming. Now, Run the other direction yes. quickly. Now, one thing about uh, Gardnerians is they tend to be very guarded about their practices. They keep them private. That's part of the tradition is that they don't share a lot with outsiders. That being said, the people I know who are Gardnerian high priests and priestesses are absolutely people of high moral standing who would absolutely not condone this at all in any group. So I think that you are more, even if the guard, if you find a Gardnerian tradition that won't come out and tell you what their practices are, you're probably going to find that they are going to be in complete agreement with you that that is not okay. Now, with regards to nudity, um, I don't know any groups that require nudity, and I know a lot of groups. Uh, there are some um, groups or communities that allow nudity or their ritual. I know I've, I've been to some rituals that were more goddess-centered, and so people were incur were not encouraged, but invited to um, be in different states of undress if they felt comfortable, but nobody was required to do that. And there are some traditions that um, ask their initiates to be nude at the, um, through, through the initiation. But then again, that's not typical for everyone. Um, it has not been typical for me. That's not anything that I have had to do, nor have I ever asked that of anyone. Um, I feel like I've seen more nudity in groups that are uh, single gendered, right? And so, um, which it can, can cause a lot of challenges, especially for someone who is uh, trans or non-binary. That's a whole other topic, but I did at least want to name that. Um, so again, that's a question you can ask upright if, if, or outright if you're interested in joining a group like, what is your, most people call it skyclad. What's your policy on skyclad? Is this something you require or will there be naked people around? Maybe you don't want to see naked people in your rights and that's perfectly understandable. Um, but it should not be a requirement anywhere. And I think you're going to find that a lot of groups don't utilize it. Um, yeah, ask the questions, but don't let that those concerns keep you from approaching groups because I think you're going to find that most groups are going to be clothed <laughs> and you're, it yeah. would be very unusual to find one that required sexual, sexual intercourse at all between members. And if you do, you should run away screaming. Yeah, I, I totally second that. You know, um, I have never come across anyone that I know that has been asked to perform anything sexual as part of an initiation, right? Um, I do know some people who have done nude rituals, but it's at their own request. Like it was what they wanted for their own personal ritual. Um, 
And again, I think that it is totally acceptable when you're talking to this group that you might be interested in to say, you know, can you talk to me a little bit about the initiation, what that looks like? And you can just say, you know, I'm not comfortable with this. And yeah, if a group is, well, first of all, yeah, if a group is saying that there's some sort of sexual requirement, like, yes, please run for the hills. And, and that is not acceptable. And I, and I think that, you know, the community, the, the entire community would be pretty mad to hear that there was some sort of requirement like that, because um, it's something that I think people are actively trying to make sure people feel really safe um, in that regard. Um, And then, you know, yeah, if if there's a nudity scenario, I I feel like, again, I don't know anyone that um, has had an experience where that was a requirement. Um, And I think it's totally fine to say what you're comfortable with. And if someone, and I, and I like cannot stress this enough, and this isn't just in, in witchcraft, this is in life. If you feel uncomfortable with something and you express that discomfort and someone says, you know, someone reacts really poorly to you not wanting to be nude in front of them, that would be a red flag, you know? And I think that there are plenty of people that are going to happily accept you in your comfort zone um, as far as sexuality or nudity goes, you know? So um, I think I think it is a really good question because I, I I've heard other people believe that um, for sure. Um, and it, it, it's not anything that I've come across um, and, and certainly not anything that people I know have come across outside of, you know, again, like someone doing a personal ritual that they requested to be nude. Um, but other than that, you know, I don't, it's I, as an initiation, right. I, I haven't, I don't think that's something that you'll run into. Yeah, it's something, sometimes people are getting these ideas from books that were written in the 60s and 70s. Yeah. Well, you're looking at like the flower child, a free love movement is influencing that. And it's one thing Janet Farah has talked about is that nudity was encouraged in the 60s in some of these covens as a response to a very buttoned up society yeah. in England, right? That was really afraid of nudity. So there was, there was an act of rebellion in getting together and getting naked for these specific rights. But again, even now, um, I've been to a lot of rights that Janet has led and everybody has always been new has, has always been dressed. <laughs> and, uh, I was, everybody's always been new. I'm like, no, that it never happened. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, and that movement was about liberation, you know, yes. it was about body, like claiming your body and sexual liberation. So in that time period, it was really relevant, but we, we, we are a much more sexually liberated people right now. I mean, not everywhere, everyone, but I feel like generally speaking, um, you know, that was just part of, that was part of that moment in time. The question made me really sad because it, it reminded me of a conversation that I had with a friend who worked at, uh, at a strip club and she was kind of like the house mom. And a new girl came in and she was a new dancer. And she's like, so, um, how, when do I find out, uh, when my turn is with the, with the owner, with the manager? Oh my God. And she looked at her and she's like, excuse me. And she goes, you know, when's my shift, you know, when I have to, you know, go with the owner. And she looked at her, she said, you will never have to do that. And if for any reason that is ever insinuated to you, or he says anything like that, you come talk to me and I'm going to beat his ass. And yeah. it was just I mean, that thought, but it it was just something that somehow like she had worked in a place where they had convinced her that that was common practice and that was something you did. And it wasn't until someone explained to her, 
you know, no, that's not okay. But she realized, oh my God, that's not okay. Yeah. Not acceptable. Not safe. Run away from those people. Exactly. Exactly. Now, no one ever says that. I mean, it's just wrong. It's not the way it is. It's not normal. Um, and no one has, you know, no one has the right to to do something like that. Now, that being said, Courtney did use the right term. You'd want to use the term skyclad if you ever have questions about nudity, because that's often how uh, people in the pagan faith refer to to nudity as people being skyclad. You could always ask about their practice. Um, never is it ever required of someone really. I've, I've never heard of it being required. I, I can forewarn you. I hope you're comfortable around other naked people because you'll see naked people walking around. Not at every ritual, <laughs> not at every gathering. Yeah, not at every ritual. Through, not through not your journeys ritual. in paganism. Yes. At a certain point you will see a nude body of someone you don't know that well. It will happen could be a festival. <laughs> you could be at a conference and then you walk into a ritual. And it turns out that it is clothing optional is often what they also call it. But most, like I would say probably 95% of the things you go to clothing will not only be encouraged, but required. <laughs> required. Yeah. Exactly. And I would say that you, you likely won't often be surprised. Like you'll usually know. You know what I yeah. mean? You'll usually, yes. there will be some sort of a description in the ritual or a workshop or wherever you're attending that, hey, this is a sky clad event or, hey, this is clothing optional. Yep. Um, there's usually some sort of a disclaimer. And, and at no point in that uh, is usually being sky clad optional or, I mean, required. It's usually more of a disclaimer. Hey, just so you know, when you walk in, there's going to be naked people. There's going to be boobs. And then everyone's like, cool, I'm going. <laughs> like, great. Before we bring on our amazing guest, I wanted to give a moment to give a huge, huge, huge shout out to our new Patreons who are contributing and also our coffee com contributors. Your support has not only been so helpful to us, but it's also been really, it's made us feel really loved, which we're eternally grateful for. Yes. So I feel like I, you know, we've done this for so long now and we love it so much that I feel like, you know, it kind of got away from us. The fact that it was, it is very expensive to do. <laughs> so when we kind of all made the rounds when, you know, two of us aren't working and it's like, okay. And the problem is, is currently we all kind of separately pay the expenses. Yeah. So when we all communally said, okay, how much is everybody owed? And we saw that big dollar amount. It's like, oh, <laughs> you're like, uh oh, <laughs> we're all oh, a lot of money. Thank um, you. We need to do something. So we very much appreciate all of the coffees and Patreon support because we have come to realize that without it, we can't do this. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you. So yeah, seriously, thank you guys so much. Um, and we, we just really appreciate the support and we will be able to continue to make content for you. And we're very excited to do that. So for those of you who have joined Patreon, um, one of the new things we put up last week is an interview with star Ravenhawk, who is the head of the Wiccan family temple of New York city and also head of the witches fest festival. And she um, spoke to us about how to manage a witchcraft community during the pandemic. 
very timely, absolutely fascinating person and conversation. So if you join us on Patreon, you get access to that conversation. Yay. <laughs> so I would love to introduce our guest today. Um, our guest today is Haba Nero. She is a former student of the Iceland, Iceland Academy of the Arts who decided to direct her creative energy into tattooing and pursue her dream in the field. She works exclusively by hand without the use of an elect electric tattoo, tattoo machine and studied under the guidance of Boff Conkertz, a machine-free tattooist with over 15 years experience in the field. All of her designs are applied to the skin by hand, by hand using a simple tool she makes herself. She likes to tattoo a wide range of subjects, Ice, Icelandic magical staves being her favorite subject, images of nature, animal, plants, etc., and is a huge fan of drawing stencils on freehand. In the past years, she has worked guest spots and conventions in the Faroe Islands, Denmark, Norway, Sweden, Austria, I Ireland, Germany, Luxembourg, France, England, Scotland, India, and the United States. So only a few only a few places. <laughs> We're so excited to have you on, Haba. How are you today? I'm very good. How are you? We're doing great. Um, you know, I've been really excited to have, um, have you on to discuss ritual tattooing. I think it's something that's a really amazing form of magic. And, um, and I know it's a topic that our listeners are going to love. So let's dive in. So this is something we ask everyone that comes on the podcast. And that is, when did you first realize you were a witch or a magical person? Well, I've never really identified as a witch, but I've always felt really different from everybody around me. So in, in primary school, I usually kept to myself. I was a really social being, but I just didn't really connect with everybody there. I had like a few friends on and off, but mostly I was just there in the back doing like a little doodle and learning about all sorts of arts and crafts. And, you know, I was really really into learning about magic and whenever the topic was magic or anything of the sorts I was just there like pricking my ears otherwise I was not really a good student <laughs> but you were the right kind of student at least for us right. you I was know, really good with everything other than you know books and all that <laughs> you know I think that we we have had a lot of people on I mean myself included that we talk a lot about how um you know, it took me a, for a long time. I just, I also felt very similarly. I didn't call myself a witch, though. I like used a lot of magical practice. Um, it was just not a word that I necessarily felt comfortable using, not comfortable, but felt like I identified with originally. And then eventually mm -hmm. I kind of was like, shit, I'm really doing all this stuff and I'm just calling it something else. Um, and, and I really fell to find that that is really where, uh, you know, was a word that I really identified with fully. Um, and that's exactly why we say witch or magical person, because not everyone identifies with the word witch, but I think that, you know, um, I, in meeting you, I mean, it's very easy to sense you as a person of, of magic. Um, and, uh, and, and in seeing your work, which is incredibly powerful, um, it, it, it definitely, uh, it definitely reads that way as well. Oh, I'll second that because Hillary sent around the images, absolutely mesmerizing. So there's some serious magic going on in the work that you do. And how about you and I have never been in the same room, but just by looking at what you create, I can feel that about you. Oh, thank you. That's absolutely. very nice. <laughs> <laughs> so what is ritual tattooing? 
Um, if you think about it, like all tattooing is ritual in on, in on itself. It's just the way you look at it. So with ritual tattooing, I feel like it's more about the person coming in to get tattooed with a certain intention. So if she needs some aids, um, she needs help with something, she's like wants protection or just needs anything to um, get somewhere in life, she can come and have that in mind and we can find what suits with a magical stave, with a certain tattoo that she wants, like something aesthetically or magical being. And yeah, we can just put that into the tattoo. And When you look at, you know, I mean, there, there are many forms of tattooing. So, I mean, there are many types of tattoos. Um, some people get them for us. Aesthetic purposes, as you said, you know, when you look at finding an image that you think, um, you know, has a specific intention, or if it is a, something like a magical stave, how do you think that adds power or how can that benefit someone? So let's say I come to you and I say, Hey, Haba, you know, I'm wanting to find, um, you know, I want, uh, I want to find protection from something. Um, and I choose an image that reflects that protection. How do you think that works or how do you think that is powerful as a magical tool? Well, I love chatting with my clients in the beginning and just having a really casual, easygoing chat. And, you know, we drink coffee or water or something, and we just have a really nice time getting to know each other for a bit before we even start talking about, you know, designs or and whatever. And then I can kind of feel, I can sense the person and I can feel what they want and what they need. And then slowly we get into like talking about designs and what they're really expecting from the tattoo. And I figure out like, okay, like if the person doesn't know at all what she wants, I'm like, okay, do you like animals or do you like plants or do you like, um, you know, like magical Icelandic magical staves or anything else? Should I just draw something? And slowly I figured out what the person wants and what they're into and what they really expect from the tattoo. And that's how we kind of get to the conclusion of, what the design will be. And what drew you to Icelandic magical staves? Um, can you talk a little bit about them? I'm not super familiar uh, with them, and I, I don't know if our listeners are. All right. Um, we learn about them in primary school because it's really enriched in our culture. Um, they come from the 16th century, so they're not actually that old. Um, so people came to Iceland and they settled in Iceland around the year 800, which is not so long ago either. Um, then Christianity came around 1000. And before then, they'd always practice heathen rituals and like heathen um, everything to do with that, like paganism and all that. So Christianity came and it kind of forced the paganism out of the culture as everywhere. And then they kind of took over. Uh, but still, people were practicing it in secret because they realized that Icelanders couldn't, you know, you couldn't ban them for practicing their old rituals. So they kind of submerged Christianity into the magic. And in the 16th century, it was actually a school, a school in Hólar, 
that seemed to have been quite a dark school. And it's known for um, this one priest who was practicing like black arts, apparently. And it's like many, many stories around that. And that's kind of where the Icelandic magical staves were created like bit by bit. It started out just helping people with their farm, like keeping their flock protected. And then it went into like protecting people from all sorts of ailments and all all the way to necropants and, you know, being invisible and stuff. So it slowly appeared in the year in the 16th century. And then there have been like a few books found which are in the museums here. And it's really interesting. So I love how you go to anyone in any other country and they'll refer to 1600 and they'll be like, that's not that long ago. And here in the United States, if something's from 1880, we're like, that's so old. It's true. People are like, oh my God, this house is a hundred years old. (laughs) I really appreciate you giving us the background on this because I have seen some of the Icelandic symbols um, in some of the, the work that, that we Americans are doing. And there is a misconception that they are, back from the Viking age or from earlier than that. And so it's, um, it's interesting to give it some context and rooting in that, you know, we've got about 400 years that, that they've been around and, and how they, uh, how they combine both the, the, the old pre-Christian symbols as well as the energy from Christianity. Yeah, totally. It's a um, very influenced. So like from, for a lot of the staves, you can see lots of crosses and, you know, lots of reference into the Bible and stuff. So it's it's very interesting how they just like changed it a bit so they could actually use it without getting hanged, you know? Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. I think it's, you know, I think, I think it, when I, I mean, when I've seen the tattoo work that you've done um, and seen that imagery, I mean, even not knowing the backstory or really understanding what each one individually means the power through that imagery resonates so strongly. Um, and I think, you know, uh, I, I have gotten, you know, I have gotten imagery on me that represents certain things, um, whether it be to memorialize something or to mark a journey in my own life, or I've also considered getting pieces that are, um, to manifest. And that's something that you said earlier on is this, you know, this idea that, you know, it could be, um, a symbol that would, that would be towards something, whether it be protection or to manifest something. And I think that's something that's really fascinating because, you know, I think, you know, we see, I mean, again, people get tattoos for so many different reasons. And I, and I think we forget that it can be a form of manifestation. Our last episode, which came out last week, uh, talked about glamour magic And in that aesthetic presentation, whether it be in jewelry or clothing or makeup. um, And I think this is similar in the sense that this is something that you can put on you that creates an image that creates something that is valuable in a magical sense. Yeah. And helping people as well. And I I wonder, because we, 
there's so many witches that get tattoos. Like I don't know many witches that don't have tattoos. This does not mean you have to have tattoos to be a witch. You absolutely do not. But it's something that's very popular among the witchcraft community. And I know a lot of them get tattoos as have I, as you know, as, as Hillary mentioned to get something that commemorates, but I'm curious about how many witches are getting tattoos that are meant to have magical intent, that are talismans in themselves for protection or manifestation. So I'm wondering, Haba, how many of your clients, say, come to you with that intention that, they're, that they want a tattoo that acts as a talisman? Um, lots of them, actually. I can always feel when the person really, like, without understanding the magic behind it, they really understand it, if you, if you know what I mean. Um, there have been a few people who have been in a really rough patch in their lives and have come to me to kind of get peace of mind or something. And that's really nice that even, even though that the magic doesn't work, you know, if people don't believe in it or such, it still works because you put your energy into what you want from it and it will, you will reap what you sow, you know, um, there have been a few people that I remember that have had the magic actually work for them. And one of them is a couple from England. And they came to me and they had been trying to get pregnant for a very long time. And they were at their last, um, what do you call it when you get it? Um, IVF. IVF, yes. They were at their last IVF because they couldn't afford any more. They'd already done two attempts before. So she's like, oh, might as well get a magical stave and see what happens. Like, so I gave her a magical stave, um, tattooed it on her uterus area. And it's a magical stave for life. So it creates life. And then I think it was, yeah, nine, nine or ten months later, she messaged me and said she was on her last trimester with a triplets. Oh my Whoa, god! That it really worked. Yeah, like magic comes in threes. <laughs> so that was interesting. All over. And they're all really. I would not have been excited about that. I'm just saying. Yeah, I might have been at your door, being like, um, "We need to talk." Well, I wanted I one. Take any responsibility for how many. <laughs> well, you know, I, she should have warned. Like magic comes in threes, as they always say. Um, wow. <laughs> but all of the all of the triplets are really healthy and happy and they're just Aww. super ecstatic about it. So that made me really happy. That's really amazing. That's really amazing. And I think, you know, like we talk, I mean, we've we've had episodes on sigils, on on um, you know, creating imagery that represents something to manifest. And so I just find it I find that so beautiful that, you know, that this 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 tattoo, this placement of this sacred image create really did manifest something, you know? And it, and I think that, um, you know, I think it's, it's something that, again, I think we don't always think about, like, I, again, I mean, even myself, you know, I think about tattoos, I'm like, oh, I want to get this to, you know, remember my mom. I want to get this to remember a time in my life. But I think that it's brilliant to think like putting this on me, is saying something about what I want in the future in a way to manifest. I think that's really beautiful. Totally. So other than the staves, um, is there, are there any other mythological symbols or magical symbols that you are really drawn to um, in your work? Well, I really love Norse mythology, as you might have noticed <laughs> looking through my <laughs> collection. Um, 
that has also always spoken to me. And that's also something we learn in primary school because that's the old beliefs here in Iceland. And it's just really beautiful religion. It's actually an official religion here in Iceland. You can actually register, like take yourself out of the church and be an Ausatru, which is um, the pagan relief, uh, belief. Sorry, And um, yeah, and I, I do loads of nature-oriented things like plants and animals. I really love working with the body as well. I love free-handing on people so they um, it really fits to the body it's not just an image on the body so that also I, I look at that as a ritual as well just like being together and drawing on the person seeing what fits and what speaks to me about their body so that is uh, very nice so I, I do a lot of serpents and creatures from Norse mythology freehand on people uh, because I think it somehow works better working with a with the form of the body instead of just like working on a design on a piece of paper and then putting it on the body. It's not the same. And trying to make it fit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It sometimes works, but most of the time it's, it's way better just to work with what you have. So I met Haba through a mutual friend of ours, Hannah, and Hannah has been tattooed by Haba. And she just said that the experience Haba was like such a powerful experience for her. Um, and that what you bring to the sessions is really, um, you're, I mean, she just commented on how in tune you are. And I think that's such a huge part of, of ritual is, is when you're the person that's helping create the ritual for someone to, to be able to be intuitive and in tune with that, I think is really powerful because you then become, you know, even in the drawing, the physical, the physicality of drawing something on someone's body, you then become energetically connected. Um, and I think, and I think that's su such a powerful and intimate, energetically intimate moment between two people. Especially for her kind of tattoos. I, I did both her palms like one, one at a time. And that's, that's a whole different experience than getting like a normal tattoo. The palm is like the most excruciating pain you can, you can handle with a, with a tattooing. It's, so she did really well. And it's a really powerful moment afterwards when the person is just like looking at their palm going like, I did it. And it's amazing. It's an amazing thing. I think being able to, when, when rituals involve, you know, some being physically uncomfortable or pain, I think there's that element of, of strength that comes from that. Um, I mean, there's lots of ways to garner strength from ritual. It's not all about pain, but as someone that uses, you know, piercing and suspension and ritual, you know, I think there is something about similarly about going through that experience and realizing I can do this thing that I didn't think was possible. Like this thing that seemed insurmountable that it really you come out of it going like, damn, I feel like, I mean, I'm so much stronger than I thought I was, you know? Exactly. Um, and there's something really powerful in that. And I, and I found that with tattoos too. I mean, obviously like the body is weird. Not everyone's body is the same. Everyone feels, you know, different parts of their body are the worst for me. It was the tops of my feet were just heinous. Um, and, and I think there's that in, in that type of, uh, ritual as well is like getting through that ritual and being able to, um, endure something that isn't comfortable 
is like part of it for me felt like part of what I gave to the ritual. Like it's like I gave my body to this ritual and it was intense and uncomfortable, but I also felt like that amplified what I wanted to manifest out of it. Definitely. You get it back. And that's also, it's, it's definitely a rites of passage, however you want to look at it. And it's been that way for at least 12,000 years in all um, civilizations around the world. It was always something to do with um, coming of age or going through, you know, going through the change. And you got a tattoo as like this form of honor. So you, you went through this pain and then you're an adult or you're like a part of the community. So I think that's a really nice way to look at it as well even though modern Western um, civilization doesn't really look at it that way anymore, which is a shame. It is a shame. Um, I think that it is something that we don't see as much in modern Western culture, you know? Um, and I think it's something that is very powerful um, in, in cultures still that exist around the world, um, watching some of those rituals um, and, and what people go through and, and how that develops hugely into who they are um, and, and, and into their adulthood or, or even into the next chapter of their life, you know, whether it be adulthood or, or marking, a, marking a moment, you know. Um, so I think, that's, I think that's really beautiful about, you know, using, you know, having there be that element of discomfort, you know, it is you know, we, we talk about it all the time. Like magic is not always comfortable. Exactly. It's <laughs> I not. Mean, and I think that there's a sense in which um, we tend to, we, naturally we fear pain. And there's a reason for that because pain can, is, is like an evolutionary function to keep us from doing something that could kill us. Like you put your hand in the fire, that hurts. It hurts for a reason. Okay. But there's also a sense in which there's, we, we need to have a relate, like a sense of this may hurt me, but it's not going to kill me. And that kind of reminder of us that we're, it, to me, it feels like we're all going to go through difficult times, um, whether these are uh, moments of illness or we're going through something emo emotional, it's going to happen at some point. And practices like getting a tattoo, especially going with intention, is a reminder that you will survive these things, right? Unless you don't, of course, in certain, certain circumstances, but it's a matter of thinking that you, 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 know, you, got, you got through a tattoo and it really hurt. You're going to get over your heartbreak too. That also really hurt. And the tattoo pain ended at a certain point and the heart and the heartache also ended at a certain point. And it's a really important lesson to say, you just have to get through it. You can't stop. Cause once you get started with a tattoo, you can't just stop because it hurts. Cause then you just have a piece of a tattoo and it doesn't look good. <laughs> it was right? actually in ancient, um, civilization. I don't remember which one it was, but, um, people who didn't have tattoos in the tribe, they were called naked because they didn't have any and people who would go through like start a tattoo and not finishing it they could never have it finished and it would bring them shame <laughs> I think you know it's it's I think it's so I mean I think that's spot on which is you know it is you know pain isn't always physical pain it is emotional pain it is um you know there are so many ways that we struggle and I think there are so many ways that some of these processes, I mean, I think in magic, our growth process can sometimes be very painful. You know, it can be 
whether that be physical pain, pain, you know, it can really, you know, growing and changing. And also I think when you really truly start to focus, at least for me, when I really truly started to focus on myself and, and, and what I wanted to manifest, like rather than looking at the exteriors around me, right. And really seeing, harnessing my own power, it is a painful process because it makes you, it it takes you really looking at yourself and, and that's all of you, (laughs) you know, the parts that are uncomfortable, the parts that are beautiful, the parts that make you angry, the parts that hurt from heartache, the, the traumas you've experienced. And I think, you know, part of being a whole human is, is, is going through that, you know? And I, and I think that, um, and I think, again, I have had some rituals, um, you know, whether they involve physical pain or not, both that were incredibly painful to process. And I think that I have felt so much power in coming through those rituals because it wasn't easy. You know, it's like I stepped out and I was like, man, I feel like I got hit by a truck, you know, but I, but you know, it's like, I then was like, okay, I actually feel like whatever I needed to shift through was so powerful. And I now feel like such a more grounded, more, um, focused individual. So I think that that, that element of being okay, being uncomfortable, whether it be physical or emotional pain is sometimes part of magic, you know, Hillary, I just remembered a dream I had last night and it was about you. Oh my God. Really? Was it gross? No, it was, a, it was awesome. So you were wearing the dress you wore to prom your junior year, that really beautiful blue dress that had like six, six miles of skirt around it. Yep. Okay. And I was pulling the ropes while you were getting suspended <laughs> and I pulled you too high and you were way up in the rafter. So the audience just could see your feet. And then you were like, Courtney, you got to pull me down a little bit so I can sing to everybody. I'm like, Oh, Sorry. And so I lowered you down and then you sang and my whole thought was, oh my God, please don't let her go because then she'll die. (laughs) What does it mean? I don't know, but she did a great job and I was so scared that I was going to screw up and I was going to hurt my friend because this was a really big deal. And then she wasn't worried about me holding her. She's like, no, you've got me. It's fine. But I was like, but, but what if the rope slips? You know, what if I do this wrong? And then, then, you know, I, then she got back down. She goes, okay, thanks. And so, yeah, I had a dream that I was, I was pulling the ropes while you were suspended and singing. Oh my God. So it's, it's, it's a premonition of what's going to happen one day. <laughs> I, you're really going to trust me to hoist you up. I mean, yeah, really? I would. You would? I mean, I would make sure that my, you know, like my roommate was maybe behind you. <laughs> I would cry. I'd be so scared. I was going to say, I can't authorize this. <laughs> so I was like, Sylvia is a very, tra- very trained at, uh, at rope work. So I feel like I'm crying like, <laughs> just thinking about it. I'd be so scared. Like I, you know, I remember the first time, actually, I remember the first time I held ropes for someone's suspension. It was a wild experience because it was the energy coursing through that connection was so intense. I was like, Oh my God. And it was for a very, um, like emotionally beautiful, but also, you know, challenging suspension. And it was like, I just remember like feeling like this rush of energy because that energy exchange, which I'm sure Haba can speak to as well with tattooing, that energy exchange between two people in that environment is 
very intense. Like as, as the person that, that was holding space and creating this ritual for someone, it was like, it was an overwhelming experience. And I was very glad that there was someone like, you know, that was there. Like, cause you know, I was, it was the first time I was doing it. And I mean, obviously I had learned and practiced and whatever, but you know, it was, I was really glad to have someone there that was, that was making sure that I was, you know, not going to pass out because I, this experience was so, uh, so, so energetically overwhelming. <laughs> it was so amazing. Yeah, it's really, it's, you, that's, that's a big part of getting tattooed and obviously doing suspensions and everything else to do with this kind of ritualistic acts is that there's one person receiving it and going through all the emotions and everything. And then the other person coaching, that's like the most important thing about giving a ritual is the coaching and like nurturing and being there for them and, you know, coaching them through the pain. And you have to, you have to reassure them that this is only pain. It's this pain you recognize. This is pain you're not going to die from. It's just, it's just beautiful. So once you get through that and you go through this motions of experiencing this excruciating pain and wanting to quit and wanting to just like stop everything you're doing and you go through it and you like hit this wall and you just like slide through the wall. Um, it's just so powerful and it's so beautiful when people, I can see it in people's eyes when they're just like so happy with themselves. And I'm sure you experience it loads, Hillary, when you're doing suspensions and everything like that. Yeah. I mean, same, same deal. I, you know, I remember the first time I suspended, I was, you know, it was, you know, there's this moment where you're like, Oh my God, what if everything this, I don't know that I can do this, you know? And you really, it's, it is that fear of the unknown and that fear of what you're stepping into. And I think that can be true, whether, whether it's physical or emotional pain, but like when you're stepping into this, like this just, you know, I don't know, like diving into this pool of fear around what you're about to go through when you really just succumb to it and let it happen. I mean, for me, it was such a transformative experience because it was like, I, it was like, I had to accept, I think, I think one thing we do is we push a lot of times with pain specifically, and that includes emotional pain. We push it away. We're like, stuff it down, keep it out, like keep it over there. Self-medicating. Yeah. Laugh about and, it. I know what I do is I tend to mask it through laughter and that's it, not healthy, but it's entertaining and, for everybody else. And, <laughs> and, you know, so in this moment, you really have to just let it consume you to get to the other side. And that is the most terrifying and also just incredibly powerful moment where you just let yourself completely submerge in that discomfort and like throw your hands up and be like, okay, I'm letting it all go because you can't hold on to those threads of like, you know, of comfort. It, sometimes you have to, in order to really get through it, you really just have to dive in. Um, and coming out the other side of that is it makes you, it's transformative in so many ways because it, it is, it is powerful. You, you think suddenly you go, I, I did like, I did, I did this. Like I did something that I thought I could not do. I felt pain in a way that I thought I would never be able to experience. And with suspension, oftentimes it's a combo of the physical and emotional pain. Um, because we always say in suspension that suspension, um, 
doesn't always give you what you want, but it gives you what you need. <laughs> so, so like, just sometimes like it, magic, just like magic, because it is magic, you know, for so many people, it is that, that, you know, deep ritual connection. And, and so it's like, you go through it and you're like, I didn't realize that this shit was going to happen, but it is, you have to just throw yourself into it and, and throw your hands up and say, like, I am, I am like giving into this process but what comes out the other side is you really going, oh my God, like I was able to do this thing that I thought was impossible and your perspective on other things that seem impossible is different. It's ecstasy. Okay. <laughs> it is, I mean, it really is. And it's, it, yeah, I mean, it, it is a, it is a really transformative experience. Um, so to shift quickly, Haba also makes incredible art. So she takes a lot of the imagery she uses in tattooing and does wood burning. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, I love doing anything to do with arts and crafts. So wood burning is just one form that I really enjoy doing. And I discovered it again in primary school. Um, and they let us use wood burning pens, like pyrography pens um, in carpentry class. And that was really fun. So I kind of just rediscovered this uh, maybe a year ago now. And it's just really something, one of my favorite things to do. And also other things I love doing is just everything to do with arts. So photography and sewing. I love sewing as well. I uh, love painting and drawing and everything. But primarily I'm doing pyrography on skulls and bones and woods and everything in between and it's just amazing it's so much fun if you haven't tried it you should try it i want to try it that sounds amazing and also kanani is now going to follow you forever because she's also a crafty goddess <laughs> i don't trust kanani with wood burning tools i'm just gonna say that's not no one should no one should no one in their right mind i have tried it because i think it is one of the most beautiful form of art i love wood burning wood carving all of that kind of stuff, I am completely incapable of doing it, but I think that it is absolutely stunning. I think you're lying. <laughs> no, no. That's your... no, she's not a liar. She, she exaggerates. No, I really, no, I'm, I am, uh, I, I, I'm good at setting things on fire. That's where wood and I get along very, very well. <laughs> it's kind of, just do it on, under the, the blue sky. And yeah, just be do fine. it outside. Make sure that you're like in a pool of water while you're doing it. So in case it catches, you know. So exactly. <laughs> so Haba, we do this thing at the end of our episodes um, that we'd love for you to take part in if you would like. Um, and we call it, so instead of as above, so below, we call it as below, so above, which we mess up 95% of the time when we say it, but I think I got it right. Um, so we basically say something that we want to let go of, um, and in turn, something that we want to bring in. Um, and if you'd like to be part of it, that would be awesome. Um, and, but I'll make Courtney start. I always choose. Why? 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 I'm always check. God damn it. All right. You know, like, that's fine. Money, she'd throw a tantrum about it. So like, she's right. Oh, Jesus. All right. Uh, um, I am letting go of pessimism because things didn't work out the way I wanted to before. So why would they work out the way I want to in the future? Very childish in my opinion, like why should I even bother? So I am going to release that 
And instead, I am bringing in blessings. I'm open to accepting blessings in many forms. So So promote that shit. Promote that shit. Um, So for me, uh, I want to let go of imposter syndrome. (laughs) It's something that I feel like I do to myself a lot where I approach. I mean, it could be anything. It could be magic. It could be work could be music performing whatever and I walk in feeling like I don't deserve to be there and that's just bullshit so I am letting go of that and bringing in uh bringing in a firm understanding that I deserve to be in the places that I enter into that's how about you all right yeah sure um I think what I really need to let go is insecurities as well. I am really riddled with imposter syndrome as well as so many people around me. And I would really love to bring that energy into getting women to come to me for a tattoo and realizing what a goddess they are. Because so often I get women who are just like these kind, uh, beautiful women and they don't realize it. And I would really love to help them realize it. Don't mote that. That's so beautiful. Yes. Yeah, mote that. That is so beautiful. Kanani, uh, your turn. So I feel like um, one of the things that I am trying to let go of is kind of something you touched on earlier, Hillary, just fear of the unknown. There's just kind of so much that's in flux right now, just life in general and just things that are happening, I just kind of want to let go of the anxiety of, you know, is it going to work out? How's it going to work out? What's going to happen? And, and just know that it's going to work out and it's, you know, however, however that happens and just kind of not be quite so anxious about, about things. And I would really like to, um, I would really like to bring in fun and enjoyment of, of the time that I do have and the extra time that I have with family and, you know, extra time I have to kind of talk to friends and, um, things like that. And as difficult as the free time is just try and kind of, instead of using it to worry about things and be anxious about things, use it to have a good time and enjoy myself. So I'm going to apologize to everyone who follows my Instagram or TikTok account because there will probably be a lot of shenanigans and very embarrassing things that a year from now I'll look back at and go, why, why did I do that? But I'm having, trying to have a good time. So, so mote that. So mote that. So how about, um, we're going to be listing your website as well as your Instagram, um, on, on our website when we release this episode, but is there anywhere else that people should go to look for you? Um, just on major platforms. Yeah. My website, um, Instagram, Facebook, um, there on my website, there's actually quite a useful information about hand poking and like a few articles on my work. So people can check that out if they like. Fantastic. So yeah, we'll make sure that that's linked for all of our listeners um, on our website. Um, and then we'll tag you on Instagram and Facebook as well um, so that they can all find you. And and so thank you so much for being us being on with us today. It's been really a pleasure to have you on. And, and I think such a, a beautiful conversation about 
about ritual and the magic around ritual tattooing. Um, And we want to thank all of our listeners for listening. If you want to support the show, the best way is to subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast platform. As you know, we are now on Patreon. As an incentive, we are holding a live online ritual and Q&A session for everyone who becomes a Patreon between now and the end of July. Uh, So don't miss out on that. Uh, If you don't want to commit to a monthly subscription, we happily accept individual donations through coffee. Uh, or you can purchase handmade that witch life merchandise on our Etsy store. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Be sure to follow up, follow us and keep in touch for show notes, audio transcripts, or to ask a question to answer on future episodes, go to thatwitchlife.com. Until then keep moting that shit. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye everybody. So Bye. It was lovely. Yes. Find us at thatwitchlife.com for archived episodes or to ask your burning questions for us to answer in a future podcast. So, So mode it be. be.